Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from people in our community. These successful neighbors of ours will share their real-life philosophies and solutions for success to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today is a native of upstate South Carolina. He is the managing director of what's minormicrobt.com. He is chief business officer for Better Therm LTD. He's the managing director for EOSUSA.io. He's the managing director for Trace Blockchain. He's the founder and managing partner for Acumen IT. And he is the founder and managing partner for Team Cadre. He's one of the most successful people that I've ever met, yet he's also one of the nicest and most generous people on the face of this earth. Welcome to the show, a close friend of mine, David Pence. Howdy, David. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. You are too kind, my friend. <laughs> well, hey, everything I said is true. It's uh, it, it's nice to be nice, but it's also nice to be true. Well, thank you. Well, man, we're very excited to have you on here today. You have got so many stories and so many things going on. One of the things that I definitely identify with David Pence is that you are always chasing the next thing. You're, you've always had an attitude of gratitude, but never one of I'm satisfied with where I'm at. So you're always chasing the here's what I'm excited about. Uh, in fact, I could start the podcast by saying, hey, what's new? But we'd probably take up the full hour with just that. So instead, let me ask, what are you most excited about right now? Well, for me, I've been spending a lot of my time on one of those businesses that you've mentioned. Some of them are up and running and I feel like, you know, I'm at the circus and I have the stick in my hand and there's a plate at the top of the stick and I just got to keep it spinning, right? For this business or this business or this effort, as an example. And so some of those businesses have really stabilized and we have fantastic management that kind of operates those businesses now. But one of my most favorite ones that I'm sort of kicking off, it's, it's four years old, so it's kind of funny because it's an experiment that we did for the first two years, but now we've decided to get serious about it is this business called Team Cadre. And the neat thing about it is that we are uh, um, trying to fill some of those 15 million open positions in the US, which you know, businesses are starving for. So, so that's, what I'm, that's what I'm most excited about is, is growing that little business and, and, and some of the marketing things that we've just come up with, which is, which is a neat story in itself. That is so awesome, David. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that in the podcast. Um, one of the definitely identifiers of David Pence, like I said, you're always, what's the next big thing and uh, never satisfied, just continuing to grow, which I love. Then also never, never afraid to take risks either. Never afraid to jump out there. Um, so with that risk probably comes a lot of failure, but failure and overcoming through success too. So I'd love to hear what's What's either some of your most recent or some of your how did you get started stories on here's some things that I went through, some struggles that I went through and how I overcame those. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I own another business you mentioned called Acumen IT, and it's one of the it's like a medium to large size managed services provider. The average managed services provider business in North America, there are 5000 of them. It's 12 people. So it's not like it's, you know, humongous or anything, but I, that little business is about 40 people. So it's in the, it's in the upper tier uh, of size versus an average of 12. And uh, it, it had an issue where a lot of the, uh, the Fortune 500 
years ago, maybe a decade ago, they decided to, maybe two decades ago, they decided to offshore a lot of the IT support. Uh, so if you were Microsoft or Google, whoever, you all of a sudden had a ton of people that you put into, say, India or China or something like that. Right. And, and ExxonMobil, everybody did this, not just tech companies. And so right. their IT departments were outsourced. Okay. And then they realized it was terrible. And so, you know, the time zone changes and having to staff people third shift that were on first shift and all this mess and the language barriers and everything. And so uh, what happened to Acumen was not much at that point. But then the big Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, they decided to reshore some of the IT resources about a decade ago. And what that did was the schools and stuff had stopped uh, big class sizes of Cisco router experts and stuff like that. They switched over to programming. And that was great because there weren't a lot of hirings going on of IT support. Yeah. Well, when they reshored, let's just say they went 80-20, 80% on the other side of the planet and 20% left here in North America. Well, when they reshored, they didn't reverse that. Okay, they just went maybe yeah. maybe 30, 70 or 40, 60. But that meant a massive hiring of IT people in the yeah. U.S. And right. so for the past decade plus, the unemployment rate for uh, IT support staff has been zero percent. And for IT security staff that do support, it's a negative two percent. So we were having people stripped out of our little 40 person acumen IT, not every day, but, you know, one of my good guys would come to me and say, hey, I just got a 50% increase offer over at XYZ Big Company. And I like it here, but, you know, 50%, David, you can do math. I was like, I can do math. Right. <laughs> I'm like, you should take that job. Are you kidding me? I'm so happy for you. Right. Right. Please, please do that. But then to, to get that guy as a replacement, and this is before COVID, right? This is way, this is years ago. Yeah. Well, I was like, what are we going to do to fix this? Because we're going to continue to get picked off with our best people who are just going to get incredible offers from basically this reshoring that started about 10 or 12 years ago. Right. So I said, hmm, one more, and I ran to a couple of guys and they said, look, there are, they're also in, they also own MSPs or managed services providers, which is what Acumen IT is. And uh, they said, you know what? A couple of guys said, we've had some success going to Latin America and getting people. One of my friends was in California and he had like 62 staff. So he's 50% bigger than Acumen. He said, I've got 12 guys in California and California is double the price of IT engineers as it is in South Carolina, where I am. So mm -hmm. he has a massive strain, right? So yeah. he, had moved, he has 50 people now in Latin America. And I was like, wow, how's that going for you? He says, great, it's nearshoring. They're almost the same time zone, if not the same time zone. And uh, it's just fantastic. So we, um, I actually flew to Latin America and actually made an experiment four years ago. I'm going to hire six staff uh, and I was having some attrition at Acumen. So basically we still have 40 staff today, but six of them are now from Latin America. And you know the other ones are just natural people that were being picked off. The six that left Acumen were people that were kind of picked off over time. Yeah. Well, then we ran that for two years and said, well, let's make sure this is really gonna work, you know, because Acumen's got a pretty high quality. We just don't take any customer. We just don't take any employees. We are pretty picky. Uh, found out that you know the work week in latin america is um in most latin american countries is six days a week right so yeah. we said oh that's interesting well we don't need you to do that how about you just work five days a week just like americans do here you can have all the american holidays and you can 
just work five days a week. And people are like, can you say that again? And we said, yeah, just, you know, just work like us. Is that all right? And they were like, amen, brother. Boom. And we started pulling people in. Yeah. And so now we have really long-term relationships, uh, you know, and we, we were thinking, wow. And, you know, yes, they, they speak English, speak Spanish. We've had to really do a good job of, you know, there's a lot of people who don't speak as good of English in Latin America yet, right? I'm sure they'd love to learn better, but they currently aren't there. Um, but the, you know, the, the Latin languages and, and the romance languages, they just flow so much better than maybe uh, for, for an American. What we've learned is for an American who's listening on the phone or watching on a Zoom call or something, their tech support person helped them. If the tech support person speaks certain languages and, and I have, you know, Asian languages and Indian languages are great, but they're vastly different than right. English. And right. so for somebody to learn English, it really seems to, I have a lot of friends who, who have a hard time understanding people that are 12 hours on the other side of the planet. But mm -hmm. if somebody is, you know, romance language and they, you know, a lot of the words are similar or whatever, or they roll right. off the tongue in a way that it just seems to flow better. And so we found great success with a less of a language barrier. Number one, the nearshoring is fantastic. Nearshoring means, you know, hey, they're just next door. They're the country next door. You know, it's Mexico or it's uh, Panama. where we'll, We love Panama and, and some of the other Latin American countries. And so, you know, they're the same time zone. So if I want to have a 9 a.m. call with them, it's it's 9 a.m. some part of the year. Maybe it's 8 a.m. or 10 a.m., but it's right there. I used to own a business in China and it was 12 hours off. And so in order to have a 9 a.m. conference call with my staff in China and I'm sitting here in South Carolina, that was 9 p.m. Sunday night for me to get on that call. It really wow. messed with my schedule. It was very hard to get people. You know, if I had a big thing happen to me at 3 p.m. on Friday, well, it's the weekend for them. So try to get your staff in China to do something. It's their weekend at yeah. 3 p.m. for you. So it's right. really a problem, right? It's really a problem to use people off, out, outsourcing or offshoring means the other side of the planet, mostly. Right. Nearshoring means, hey, close to wherever our business is, the other people are close by. They may not be in the same country, but they're in the country, you know, not too far away or a time zone not too far away. Right. So we have found that this nearshoring thing is fantastic. The language barriers last. And anyway, so... That's been a huge success for us to do that with Acumen. And of course, I formed Team Cadre is the company that found the people for Acumen. So Acumen was its first little customer in a beta test. And then I had friends of mine come along and say, hey, man, this is awesome. I'm having a real hard time finding like .NET developers, Microsoft and that kind of stuff. Can you help me find some? Well, a blessing for us was, uh, you know, we're in Greenville, South Carolina, just north of Greenville is Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, Charlotte, North Carolina is the banking capital of the southeast of the United States. Yeah. Well, Panama City, Panama is the banking capital of Central America because it's got the Panama Canal going through there. Right. Right. So guess what? Banks have a lot of they have a lot of Microsoft developers, as it turns out, a lot of enterprise developers. So I was able to help some friends of mine early on placing three or four or five developers with them. And when we place them, by the way, we don't do it like the other guys do where they charge some upfront fee and that kind of stuff. We just we just say, here's their cost. And they actually come to work for me in, as a full time employee, if you will. And then we just mark them up just a little bit uh, to the to the client. And there's no upfront monthly fee or no upfront fee. There's only a small yeah. monthly fee. Everybody loves that. Uh, it tends to lower turnover. Um you know, so so it's it's wonderful setup. But 
that's been the most successful thing that I've been working on. And after we tested it for two years and my friends wanted a couple of people here and a couple of people there, you know, we started building the business up to about 25 or 30 people. And now we're on a mission to go just go 100x that business. We want to, we want to go uh, add probably 2,000 people to the business. And uh, I have a little story about that if I can add one more thing, but I want to make sure sure for a second. No, you're great. You're great, David. I love how you take this struggle or this uh, obstacle that you have to overcome and turn it into a new opportunity. That is so that's, awesome. That's what happened. I, I just wanted to hire six people so that I could have some relief of turnover. And then if there's another recession or something, maybe I could go to eight or 10 or 12 if necessary. And it would help my business survive too, by the way, because the cost of the staff in Latin America, about 30 to 70% less all in benefits, benefits, skill to skill. You're not getting a lower skilled person. Frankly, you're getting a person that is equally of skill, right? But they may even have a motivation to keep this job because they're practicing their English. They are getting paid usually more than they've ever made in their lives. They're working right. five days a week. So the turnover we see from Latin America is much lower than all the, you know, there's 15 million open jobs right now in the United States. So there's a lot more. It's just a different world. That's all I'm trying right. to say. Maybe, maybe even happier employees because they're more grateful for, you know, making better wages and all that kind of stuff too. And happier employees lead to happier customers. We sure do have some happy employees. And our acumen staff is really great and we have awesome people and they're very happy too. Yeah. So but both groups, both the Americans that is and, awesome. and the Latin Americans are, are quite happy. So uh, Go ahead and go ahead and jump onto your next story. And then I'd love to hear some things that you personally learned from your from these uh, struggle victory journeys. Okay, so so Team Cadre was truly set up as an experiment for me to be able to have. I didn't even need a cheaper labor force. I just wanted an available labor force because I was facing zero percent unemployment for for IT and negative two percent as we do more and more IT security in Acumen IT. Right. So. You know, I need staff. Where can I get them? And I, you know, I used to own a business in China. I knew how hard it was dealing with uh, the other side of the planet. Can I do this nearshoring thing I had been reading about? And sure enough, it worked out. I ran it for two years. I hired a couple of people for friends. So that was great. Well, what happened is I got a little bigger and I started hiring some local sales reps in the Carolinas. I said, you know, hey, let's cover the Carolinas and see if we can't help some other businesses like myself have been helped and my friends have been helped. And see if we can find some of these positions. So these ladies that I hired, they started walking into now hiring, you know, and what are you hiring for? You're a hospital, you're a telecom, you're a utility, you know, like a, a small utility or whoever it is, right? What, what are you looking for with these job postings? And, you know, we got all kinds of various things from uh, they're struggling with IT guys and IT security, and they're struggling with developers too. But one of the number one things that they were struggling with is customer service reps. And wow. we thought, okay, well, we can help you with that. I mean, there's that's easy to do remotely. And we can, we can, you know, you think of all the major MasterCard, Visa, Dell, they've got thousands of people. There are humongous MasterCard, Visa, Dell, Lenovo call centers in Latin America already. Right? Yeah. So so we were like, well, pff, we could we could help you. You're not Visa, obviously, but who are you? Well, we're the small utility. We have, you know, 30 customer service rep positions. But we only have uh, 20 filled. They're short 10 right now. And they're all everybody's doing overtime all the time. Right, really? right. Really. And municipalities, uh, we talked to a, a county like, uh, you know, there's a county that we ran into that had the same thing. They had we have a level one help desk with 30 people or 50 people on it. But we only have 30 filled positions because we're capped out at paying a certain number of dollars in our municipality. And so we'll hire somebody green. They'll stay for 18 months. Then they leave. So we're always short. 
I'm like, for the money that you're, you know, able to spend, we can have not people who are green. We have people right. with five to seven years experience who want to stay with you forever. And they're like, no right. way. We're like, yes. And so, you know, it's, it's really neat to go into some of these, like I said, smaller to medium opportunities and do either like a level one help desk, level two help desk, or like a customer service scenario, like a Visa MasterCard or a hot, small hospital. We're not doing Visa MasterCard, but you know, those kind of positions. Right. And with the labor shortage right now, it seems like that that market is huge, that there, that there's a huge demand for different, like you said, service reps or something like that. Right. So here's the breakthrough to success, success story that, that I was going to tell you. That's the backgrounder. Well, one of my reps walks into one of these places that's looking for people and uh, she notices, and I'm, I'm just making these dollars up. I don't, this, I don't recall the exact dollars, but let's say, uh, hey, customer service rep starting at $18 an hour, bilingual customer service rep starting at $24 an hour, right? And she comes back to me and says, you know, everywhere I go, there's a shortage, but there's a real shortage of bilingual. And she said, do you realize that every single developer, because I'm all passionate about developers and IT people and customer service reps. She goes, do you realize that 100% of all the people we have are bilingual? And I was like, uh, yeah, something that, again, you mentioned earlier, something that we thought was maybe a negative, we're turning into a positive. Right. So now the breakthrough for us is that we're going to build our little company to be one of the number one bilingual customer service uh, agent suppliers to American companies in the U.S. period I'm in. That's that's my goal for that business over the next five to seven years. And we are really in the beginning of that journey. And I'm having a ball being able to be number one at something, uh, you know, at, to small to medium businesses, because the small to mediums are basically overlooked by other bigger companies that want some bigger score. They want to they want to go put in a thousand agents at a time or something. Right. We're happy to put in two. You know, you want to fine, No problem. You know, so. Uh, right. So it's an underserved market and it's in vast desperate need, as we can see. And we're happy to serve it. Everybody wins. People who are taking the jobs are getting paid more than they've ever paid. They get great benefits. They get a great work life. And uh, they're generally uh, pretty grateful to have the opportunity. And then the, uh, the 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 buyers of the labor contracts, you know, the businesses that are small to medium, they have been overlooked and nobody's paying attention to them. And all of a sudden, here's this new stream of help that can come in. And oh, by the way, it's 30 to 70 percent less than what you were planning on spending. No wow. way. No way. So people are like, you have to be kidding me. And they just. You know, I'm like, well, does Google do this already? And they're like, well, I guess. I'm like, yeah, Google has people in like all 200 countries practically, right? They they do this already, right? Microsoft does this already. Visa does this. The Fortune 1000 do this. You simply don't do it yet, but you should. You should get at least consider it. And so we have a lot of that going on. That is amazing, David. This reminds me of, I don't know if you've read uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, um, but it's a great book. And in that book, one of his most famous quotes, he says, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries within it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. And that's what I think David Pence is great at is, man, you, you, you're you out there taking risks and you're hitting, a, you're hitting failures and adversities all the time, but you never look at them like, oh, crap. You look at them like, where's the seed? Where's <laughs> the seed for this great benefit? And that's why that's why you're so successful, I believe, David. And maybe there's other things, but I'd love to hear what are what are some of your or what's your number one success principle? If you said, hey, here's something that I know I live by. And if I if I'm writing a manifesto, if I'm giving advice to 
the the listeners here to the next generation, whatever it may be of here's what you should do. Here's what I've done to be successful. What is that, David? Well, you know, I love that book, by the way, too. Um, Think and Grow Rich is a fantastic book. I've read it at least three times. <laughs> it um, is amazing. So, yeah, I would highly suggest people do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this for this call today and what to say for that number one thing, because, you know, there's a lot of things in life, you know, right. What's your favorite color in the Crayola coloring? Crayon, <laughs> you know, I, in the, well, there's 256. It's hard to pick, you know? Yeah. But, um, but I would say that if I look back, I'm 52 years old. And if I look back at what has really helped me in all the businesses that I have, and even my personal financials, like paying off debts and stuff like that or whatever, it really has been the idea to make lists, make lists. The number one reason I am successful is because I write something down and I look at it again. If you don't look at it again, it's helpful to write things down because it helps your brain. But going back and reviewing it is just incredible. And uh, I used to write lists and just make a list, make a list. And then I and you have to put the list where they're visible to you. So when I first started doing it, I put it on the bathroom mirror. I would make a list and tape it, print it out and or, or write it and tape it to the mirror and just look at it while I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, at night, something like that. And just rereading that list. I, it's just so powerful. Right now, I've graduated to I'm a big fan of spreadsheets. And so I take, you know, every every Gmail has a. You get a free you get the free tools of writing, you know, Word document and Google Sheets and yeah. Yeah. So Google Sheets. So I, I may go in and just create a spreadsheet and make a list that way. Just new untitled. I bet I have 50 untitled sitting in there that are kind of like betas that I never went back to. But a few of them I've, I've said, you know, I need to name this one now. And this is really important in my life. And it could be something like weight loss or exercise mm -hmm. or financial goals, you know, but that's what I do. And then I'll go look at them every day. I go into my How's my goal coming on my on my weight loss or, or my reps that I'm supposed to be doing for working out or whatever, my miles that I'm supposed to be walking? And, and then I record it, right? I'm like, oh, I did this many today. I did this many today, this many today. And there's a bunch of failure in there, Jonathan. There's a right. bunch of failure where I was supposed to do this many and I only did half. But you know what? If And, and sometimes the this many that I really wanted to do, I'm going to do this many every day. Let's say 100 of something every day. And I'm only doing 12. I'm doing 12. I'm doing 12. You know, maybe I drop it down to 12 or I drop it down to 10 as my goal and go, well, at least I'm doing 10, you know, and then maybe, you know, after I've done 12, 12, 12, maybe 14 in a row or whatever, maybe I make it 15 and try to pull it up to 15. And it's, I think it's that right there. The essence of that right there is all the difference in the world. If, if people will just write things down and look at them again, and if you get super, super serious about it, maybe even just put them into an electronic version where you can easily edit or make changes. Uh, because once I, had, oh, when I first started, I wrote it down on an eight and a half piece of paper with my handwriting yeah. and I dated it and I signed it and I stuck it to the wall. Signing it with a date also <laughs> means a lot to me because it's like, you yeah. were so passionate about this. You signed it and you put the date of when this piece of paper on your bathroom wall yeah. got here. And that meant a lot too, because I'm like, that's been six months ago. Or that's been a year ago. Wow. You know, how much progress that I made. Let me stand on the scale here and see what it says. Huh. From six months ago, I have made this much progress. You know, that was my basic version, if you will. That is amazing, David. It's, it's, you know, many of the success books out there talk about how it is magic 
to just write things down, that there's some something in it, whether it be it helps your brain look at it from a third person point of view, a third person perspective, as opposed to just keeping it in your head. But also just as you're writing it down, you're also attracting those things to you. So I love it. So the lists are mainly, are they goals or are they dreams or are they tasks? What are these or are they all of the above? Well, the list might be, I want to buy these things, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, these are things I want to buy in my life. And it doesn't have to be, uh, uh, a yacht, you know, it could be, I want to buy tires for this year because my tires are going bald. It could be, um, you know, I need to, uh, I need to buy some extra food because, uh, the economy is looking strange or COVID's looking strange or something like that. Right. It, right. Could, it could be whatever. And I have all that, everything. I, I've got all that stuff in a list of a buy list, right? I've got a to-do list. What do I need to do? And then yeah. where I am in my life, I've got, what do I need to do personally? What do I need to do for business one? What do I need to do for business two? And right. I have a list of things that needs to get done. And I review it every day. Um, financial goals. Where would I like to be? Where am I now? You know, where, where would I like? Because you have to bridge the gap of where you are today and where you want to be. And I think taking big problems and breaking them down into little pieces is a great way. And these lists allow you to do it if you manipulate those lists. So you can, you can date the list. You can, instead of saying, you know, maybe, you know, there's a lot of people, just a real generic goal. Hey, one day I'd like to be a millionaire. And, well, okay, what are you worth now? Most people don't even know, right? Well, why don't you write all that down? What are you worth now? Okay, I'm worth $52,000. If I sold my cars and I sold my house and I took all the cash I got out of it and my couple grand in, the, in my savings account, I got 52 grand. All right, so you want to be worth a million, right? So you need to get from 52 to a million. Well, why don't you put in the 52 and, and what month? Or it's August of 22 right now. August, you're 52 grand. All right. Well, what are you in September? Write that down. Oh, 52,500. Okay. How much longer, to, you know, make, make yeah. it start plotting out how long it's going to take to get to a million. And, you know, I did that at first and I was like, okay, it's, if I live to 299 years old, I will be a millionaire. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> I have to change my habits because this something just got to change. 500 bucks a month is not going to get me there. Right. So, right. It just causes you to think. And uh, over the years, I've changed and manipulated, changed and manipulated. And uh, what can I do to make a difference? So that's, I think list is the number one success I could possibly say to anybody. That is great, David. And something else that I know list does for me, because uh, I got that from you. I got that from you years ago, writing lists and writing things down. Uh, and it's something it's done for me is it helped take weight off of me because I'm in my head all the time. I'm thinking of dozens of different things. And if I can put them on paper, well, now I don't trust my own brain. So I'm, I have to just worry and worry and worry. I, I hate to use the word worry, but that's what I was doing. But once I can put it on paper, well, now it's there and I know I will never forget it. So I can, it's, it's a little bit of weight, a little teeny bit of weight that's off of my shoulders. And I can walk around a little bit lighter because of that. Yeah. Um, it just helps. And it helps your brain think of solutions instead of problems. If I put the problem on paper, well, now I can think of solutions because I've got the problem identified and put it on a piece of paper. Yeah, so, right. It really does train your brain. Yeah, man. I love it, David. This is great. Great, uh, great advice. Uh, making lists. It's kind of an alternate form of journaling in a way. I know a lot of people out there journal, but for people that are uh, data driven like us or, or bullet point driven, you know, lists might be even better than journaling. Yeah. All right. So what are, uh, you, I mean, you said that you had to narrow down what's the one favorite color. What are, do you have a couple of other favorite colors that you want to throw out there? What are, what are some know, other keys of success? You know, I might have a couple more. I, probably, you know, a couple other ones that I think are important is 
I think I learned, I don't remember what age I was, but I think I learned this idea of choosing happiness instead of trying to find it or buy it or be granted it. And um, I just got old enough where I looked around at other people and, you know, maybe I saw a news story where a guy was released from prison with a shirt on his back and he'd been in there, maybe even wrongly accused for 20 years. And for whatever reason, he was just grateful to his maker or whatever. And he was just a happy guy. And you're yeah. like, how can I got me happy? And then I've seen other things where X, Y, Z wives of whoever, and, uh, you know, I pick on Beverly Hills, you know, uh, you watch those stories and those shows and, you know, they look happy on the TV, but you read an article about their life or who they are. And it's just like, uh, you know, and so yeah. they've got all the money and prestige in the world and they are miserable. And I think I really take solace in looking at people and, I, you know, there are obviously people in Beverly Hills who are also have chosen to be happy as well, too. And there's people that are currently in prisons that are miserable. So I'm not saying this one way or the other. But but what I am saying is, is that I really think whether wherever you are in life, I think if you just decide that, huh, you know, you cannot buy happiness. Huh. You can't find happiness. You cannot earn happiness. But you can choose to be happy. No matter what happens to you, you can still decide to be happy. And I have decided that I encourage my family members to do the same thing. And you want to talk about taking a little stress off your life. Once you go, yeah, I'm pretty happy. Even if nothing else happens really good in my life or if something bad happened, I think I would try to, to find a silver lining and just be happy with it because it is what it is. Right. So yeah. choosing to be happy, I would say, is the a key to success. And if you don't just maybe listen to me here and just go, OK, I'm going to start it. Maybe that's hard for you. Go Google it. Read about it. Read about people who've chosen to be happy. I think you'll be blown away by some of the other success stories of people who've chosen to do this. The third thing I'll say, and this is probably the last one I can think of off the top of my head. It's funny that you mentioned Napoleon Hill in the book. Uh, I really think people, and I don't want to say it this, I'm going to say it this way. Maybe people have never heard of a, heard that you should read a book, right? Maybe they've said, I did it in high school. Okay. Well, should you do it again? You know, maybe you should read a book after high school. You know, right. Well, nobody ever told me to do that. Okay, I know, but you're a reasonably intelligent person. What do some of the other highly successful people do? Have you met somebody like Elon Musk or whatever? Have you met, you know, uh, uh, the, these people read all the time, way more than I do, way more than I do. So what I try to do is say, look, I think being an avid reader, becoming an avid reader, or just starting to read one chapter of one book ever for a lot of people that you weren't told or required to do. So in other words, voluntary reading is my is my third thing. Yeah. And read whatever you want. If it's a magazine, I mean, I used to read popular science. I was not a big reader reader of books, but I love to read popular science. Okay, well, that was better than nothing. And then somebody, I paying it forward here. Somebody said to me, you know, maybe you should read something that's not just a magazine. I'm like, okay. So I ended up reading um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is the number one self-help book printed in more languages than anything except for the Bible. And it is, uh, it's a big deal. And so I read that. It's an older book, but it's really easy to read. And it's got some super good stuff. It, it shouldn't be called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It should be called How to Be a Better Human Being, because that's what it is. Right. So reading is... Uh, is something you're not good at reading? Well, listen to it. You know, listen to it on uh, on uh, Audible.com or or YouTube or you know. There's so many ways to get content in your brain that I just think reading something. I, I'll finally say I think if you're a business oriented person and you want to start your own business or 
you want to uh, build a business, I think reading 10 business books probably makes you 10 times as successful than not. Yeah, that is awesome. And there's so many studies, like you said, David, uh, Google it, Google uh, the happiness, Google, why is reading good for me? But there's so many different studies out there now that just prove that you're uh, an hour of watching TV destroys so much gray matter. And it's just, you know what? Hey, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I have my, uh, my uh, luxuries that I, I'll watch a show or I'll watch a movie or I'll watch or, or I'll listen to uh, something. But if you're, but reading actually increases your gray matter. It, it, it helps you. They've done studies that it helps you live a happier life. Now you said you can't earn it. You can't chase happiness, but I think that it helps people understand because they're gray matter that they can choose happiness. They're choosing to read. Yeah. Uh, so man, it's reading is a huge deal. And I am uh, 100% on board with you there that reading is I've, I, I've lost count of how many books I've read voluntarily. It's got to be in the hundreds, maybe even thousands at this point, David. And I'm sure you're the same. You truly are one of my inspirations in that regard. I don't know that I'll ever catch up to you. And that's, uh, I would have to just get off of this call right now and just start reading right now. (laughs) And I even, I don't think I'm going to live long enough to catch you at this point, but even if I live to a hundred, but I, you are quite an inspiration and I love hearing the books that you like to read and Generally, I'll pick off one of them and try to get it into my reading list for that particular year as well. That's awesome. So tell me this, now that we're on the topic of books, what are you reading now? Or what's what's one of your favorite books you've read recently? You know, uh, it's interesting that you say that. I used to be a member of this uh, group called Vistage, and it's a CEO roundtable for small to medium business owners. And I was in it for a decade. And they would have us reading all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it was so much learning that my staff would call the DAV day when I would come back in from the office from being at one, one day a month, we would go be together, 18 yeah. business owners and trade best practices. And then I would come back and, and we would have a professional trainer come in and train us on something, all kinds of incredibly cool stuff. You know, how to, how to hire better, how to get more sales, how to do better marketing. I really like that Vistage thing. It's pretty neat, but I did it for 10 years. And I have to say, I quit after 10 years and, the chair, the business chair who runs the thing was like, why are you quitting? I was like, I can't take any more knowledge. I can't. <laughs> I said, my staff, I come back and they call it DAV day. I'm like, what's a DAV day? They're day after Vistage. And they're like, they all try to hide. You know, they want to talk to me because I'm all lit up. Like I drank a couple gallons of coffee and we need to change our marketing from orange to blue or blue to green. And it's true that there was so much change going on in my businesses that uh, it may be a little too disruptive. Right. Right. So I said, you know, 10 years, uh, I'm going to just take some of the best things I've learned over 10 years. I'm just going to try to implement them. So I want to say that. So I'm going to answer your question on the book in just a second. Um, I just finished getting out of a uh, one year uh, Bible study group. And so the recent books I've been reading is I read about a dozen books that were handed to me from this Bible study course. Uh, And I didn't really have any one particular, you know, favorite book. They're all they're all very good. Uh, so I've been reading those over the last year or so, but uh, I want to tell you a book that I have reread, which I bet you know very well. And I just want to say this because of our call today that if I had to tell you one of my favorite books, I t- already told you, uh, uh, you said Think and Grow Rich. I love that one, but uh, the, that's probably in my top five or ten Um but the How to Win Friends and Influence People is in my top five or 10. I already mentioned that one. But the one that I reread, which I'm sure you know what it is, is called The Ultimate Sales Machine. And yeah. uh, I just love The Ultimate Sales Machine. It is so great. I've read it 
almost eight times now. So as far as a recent read, David, what have you, what have you read? One of the things I've learned, you you mentioned gray matter the other day, Uh, even though you might read and increase your gray matter, there's another study that says adults only retain about 7% of what they read. And if you want to say that another way, you don't, we, we don't retain 93% of what we read. (laughs) Mm. So if you find a fantastic book, like any of the ones we've mentioned on this um, time together, if you read it once, that's great. But if it's a really good book, guess what? Read it again. Maybe don't put it down. Don't read it for a year or two. Read it again. So yes, I've read the, the ultimate sales machine now seven or eight times. And um, it just really struck me how great that book was. So, uh, so that's where I've been is, is I've been reading a bunch of uh, Christian, you know, books on, on, on the Bible, by the way, I will tell you pretty funny. I decided to read the Bible all the way through from the beginning to the end. So that's a, that's a lot of reading wow. that I, I've done. And that was pretty interesting too. So I just wanted to mention that I've been, uh, been delving into a lot of that. What an eye opener, what an eye opener, but as far yeah. as business and success are concerned, um, I really think the ultimate sales machine is a read. And I mentioned that in the form of day after Vistage is I, I don't want to continually read the latest book of the day and never implement any of these things because the books right. are coming out faster than I can read them. Right. So at 52 years old, I've gone back and said, okay, what has been the best things I have read in the past? And I'm kind of going back through them and saying, I should read this more fully like the Bible, or I should read this again, like the ultimate sales machine, which I call the sales Bible, by the way, for any entrepreneur. I love it, David. And I a hundred percent agree. I've read that book two or three times myself. I am a avid fan of the ultimate sales machine and you turned me on to that. So I appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. Uh, There is golly, another one of the famous things. And I, I wish I could attribute to who it was, but uh, someone told me once that you don't need a hundred books. You just need a dozen good books. And if I you can that. read them, read them over and over and over again. Uh, and it's more about, uh, I do know certain people that read a lot, but then don't take any action on it. Right. So taking your reading and actually implementing it, that's when you own it. You know, if, if it's just up in your head, you don't really own the things that are in there, but once you've put them into practice, now you own that truth and you own that knowledge and you own that wisdom. Think about this. You and I, I said, hey, read 10 books, right? You just said, you heard somebody say, read a dozen and make it your tool chest or something. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So if I find employees, staff, managers that I run into who have actually read books beyond high school and college that they were required to read, I mean, books, not magazines. Yeah. First of all, when I'm interviewing those people, I'm like, whoa, that's a different person, you know, than most. That's a one percenter right there. There's a one percenter, in my opinion. I just don't find a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, I read books. Now, it might be I'm talking about like a a self-help book or a business book to improve their situation. Right. Not like a Harry Potter. Yeah. If they're reading Harry Potter, that's one thing. And that's way more than one percent of the people that do that. But a one percenter who puts down that they just finished the Harry Potter series and they say, you know what? I'm going to intermix it with this other book. That's how to win friends and influence people or or whatever. Good to great, whatever it is. And they go, yeah, I just finished reading uh, Great by Choice. And you're like, really? I, that's a one percenter that when I'm interviewing that person, I'm like, wow. And then if they say what we just said in the last couple of minutes here, you know what? I read it four years ago and I decided to pick it up and read it again. I mean, if you find somebody like that, that person right there is just gold. That Now they're like a 0.01 percenter because 
Mm. Like you said, how many people go back and read it again? Most people assume because they don't know that they only retain 7%. So they're tearing through stuff going, yeah, I read that. I read that. Well, how about make it your tool chest? How about, have you used this tool? Yeah, I used this wrench once. Okay. Well, what if you used it a thousand times? You'd become a mechanic. If you just use it once, you are just like a, a newbie still, right? So all these tools in the toolbox, you might want to use them again, and again, and again. And you're right. If you get a new set of tools in your toolbox every single time and you only use the tools one time each, you're kind of like jack of all trades, master. Of right. Them. But if you take 12 books and you go or 12 tools and you say, I'm going to use these tools all the time and make them my tool set. Mm. Wow. You can become a master. Craftsman. Right. Right. And both of those are even better than the guy who just puts a bunch of tools in his tool chest, but never uses any of them. Yeah, I'm guilty <laughs> of that. I got plenty of books on my shelf. I've never cracked that somebody's given me, you know, because I'm more of the 12 book guy than the 200 book guy. Yeah. Hey, so, David, I uh, I've got a book recommendation I want to throw out to you. It's if you love how to win friends and influence people, it's a book called Skill with People by Les Giblin. OK, I'm gonna and man, that. man, it is like. It's like it takes everything in how to win friends and influence people. And it's an old one, too. It's probably written around the same time. But he condenses it down to about 45 pages, David. You can read this in about an hour. You can read it a dozen times a year. Every month you can pick it up and read this book. And it's everything. It's just nuggets, great reminders. And it's got bullet points and lists in there, too. But one of the things he talks about in there at the very beginning is the thing you said, that we only retain about 3% of we read or 7% of what we read. And then he said 7% of what we read and this, how much we see and how much we hear and how much we enact. So he gives you percentages on, and this is why you need to read this book over and over and over again. This is why I made it so short. That's so it's awesome. a great book, great book. I'm sure you can find it on Amazon or somewhere, but uh, it's yeah. literally, I think like 45 pages or something. It is so short. Uh, I've probably read that one dozens of times at this point in my life. Well, that is awesome, Jonathan. Thanks for the recommendation. All right. So we're at the final part. I am excited, David. I want to hear what are you excited about? What are you, obviously we heard a little bit about Team Cadre. What are you guys looking for in clients? What are you looking for? Are you looking for clients? Are you looking for talent? What are you plugging here? Well, you know, we're small. Uh, beta tested with just like a, less than a dozen people for a couple of years and then added a few more to learn how to do it and, you know, get our contract straightened out and get our term straighten out and get our customer questions and onboarding process straightened out. So now we're a sub 100 person company at this point, but uh, with Team Cadre, but our goal is to, uh, as I said, become um, one of the number one providers of bilingual customer service agents for small to medium businesses, especially uh, ones that have, you know, say 20 or more customer service positions today and they're struggling to fill those. Right. So that's a, that's the company's mission. Uh, the BHAG, you know, I love my big, hairy, audacious goals. And right. uh, the BHAG for me is I'd, I'm, I'd like to, over the next 10 years, I'd like to see that business grow to where we have two to 5,000 people hired for these small to medium businesses. So even though we're sub 100 now, just imagine if we had, say, 3,000, you know, uh, 10 years from now. So that's, that's the thing. And uh, so so anybody that listens to this that realizes that they've got shortages in staff and they can have remote workers, uh, teamcadre.com is the place to go to. And there's there's ladies right there online. We have all the chat windows and stuff like that that would love to talk to people like that. That is great, David. So just go to teamcadre.com. There's chat windows. 
Yep. And they can, and they it's can, all, it's all routed to our, to our uh, account executives and they can, they can get you started. So I've got an odd question and this may spark something, but why team cadre? What, what's, what happened there? Why that name? You know, my wife actually came up with the name. We were looking for domain names and stuff like that early on. And remember, it was just an experiment. Uh, so I was like, I just need this other LLC because I got to see if it's going to help my acumen business here, my acumenit.com business. And they, um, so I was like, what should, I want it to be like a team of people that work well together. And so if you actually look up cadre, it does mean uh, like a team of professionals that are skilled in their area that work well together in general. So uh, that's what Team Cadre is, you know, a, a, a great team of, of working individuals. And we really want to make sure that this remote staff for, for our customers fits in well. A um, little side story, we actually took, uh, took Google uh, Chromebooks and the ones that fold over and you can, you know, like got the keyboard on the back of the screen now because it folds yeah. on it's a two-in-one. And we actually like started, we, people would be like, well, listen, there's eight of us in this cube here in say Greenville, South Carolina, and we're short four more. So we're going to hire four more. But our camaraderie is there's eight of us in this little cube area here. And we, we kind of like, Hey, Fred, what's the answer to this? Hey, Mary, what's the answer to this? It's hard to do that from Latin America. So we actually took these Chromebooks and actually put one on both sides and we called them wormholes. Okay. Mm. And then we had kind of like the four people. So now there are 12 people, eight Americans and four people, Latin America. And now they're all talking to each other and you can say, Hey, Jose, how, you know, what's the answer to this? And Jose says, Hey, Frank, what's the answer to this? And boom. And it was, it blew my mind how we, it was so funny because they, they thousand miles away, but you know, and this was pre COVID now right. everybody does that, right? We're doing it right now on a zoom call. Right. Right. So, so we thought of this before COVID and we were, we, we called them wormholes and it was kind of funny. So uh, anyway, I, we want that. That's the degree that we want to make sure that our customers are integrating with their new, great, motivated, happy employees. And that's one of the ways to keep them happy is, you know, you, you got to make the customer happy. But guess what, customers, you, your employees, you need to get them happy, too. And so not only, you know, the, the ones from Latin America, but your, your ones in the U.S., they all need to integrate well together. We are specialists with that. And I think that's in the name of our company, TeamCadre.com. It just it just proves it out. Thank you, David Pins, for teaching us the practice of making lists to help us on our journey to success. David is yet another of our ambassadors of success that shared the importance of voluntary reading. And David also taught that the secret to happiness is that you cannot pursue happiness. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. You can't wait for it to be granted to you. But you can choose to be happy in any circumstance. All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over.